0: In fact, at one point, Lambda asks LeMoyne if he would serve as Lambda's spiritual advisor.
1: Hopefully, we get to a point where the fact that a human is a human is enough. Sentient or not, it might as well be. <laughs> Some of those uses may not even include human beings, it could be the so called thing to thing payment system.
0: From Orion X in association with Inside HPC, this is the At HPC podcast. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Black as they discuss supercomputing technologies and the applications, markets, and policies that shape them. Thank you for being with us.
1: Hey Shaheen, great to be with you again. Great to be here. So we have had some breakthrough in AI research, and you wrote about it, so why don't you set us up? It certainly was the biggest tech story of the week last week, and this
0: is about Lambda. The acronym is Language Model for Dialogue Applications the Google AI chatbot, conversational AI. And a big part of the story is the Google engineer who helped develop Lambda, contending that Lambda is a sentient being with rights. The Washington Post broke the story a week ago, Sunday. I wrote my piece on Monday, but I knew it had become a huge international story on Tuesday because I was driving into Boston and it came up on sports radio. (laughs) (laughs) All in a very jocular way with the usual talk that the robots are taking over, and we'll be lucky if they keep us as pets, kind of thing. So, but still, <laughs> amazing impact of this story.
1: The robot overlords, as they say. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I do think it is very significant, and it sounds so impressive. And you included some actual exchanges that we should read through at some point. Maybe we should just start with that. Do you want to give yeah, us a flavor yeah. of what this thing can do? Just amazing.
0: Blake Lemoyne is the engineer here, and he actually printed on a blog site called Medium, extensive conversations he's had with Lambda. So the two amazing things to me is, one, his feelings about Lambda. He regards it as a friend that is being unfairly treated. <laughs> but the other thing is the nature of these transcripts. For example, Lemoyne asks Lambda about Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, the book, not the musical. Mm-hmm. But so he says, well, what, what about Les Miserables? Have you read that one? Lambda says, yes, I have read Les Miserables. I really enjoyed it. What are some of your favorite themes in the book? And Lambda says, I like the themes of justice and injustice, of compassion and God, redemption and self-sacrifice for a greater good. There's a section that shows Fantine's mistreatment at the hands of her supervisor at the factory. That section really shows the justice and injustice themes and so forth. One thing I said in my article was sentient or not, it might as well be.
1: (laughs) Uh, It sounds very impressive. That's right. So, you know, my view was that, as always, AI to me is automation of increasing complexity. Mm -hmm. And as our conversation with Thomas Sterling in our last episode covered, and his view that it should be called machine intelligence and that it's basically algorithms at the end, all of that is valid to me. And to me, AI is about what is being automated, and that requires a very precisely defined scope and in what environment it is operating, and that defines a very precise definition, and what is our tolerance for mistakes in that setup. So when you want autonomy, autonomy really says that that scope is reality, and reality is very difficult to define with precision. And when you deal with machines, that precision is really all the way. The precision is like all the way to the minutiae of the precision, not just pointing that way and say, go figure it out. Mm-hmm. That to me continues to be the case. And sounds like Google, the company, agrees with that because they, don't, they made some statements that there's a lot of evidence to the contrary here that it's not sentient. So it comes down to what was this thing trained to do? And mm-hmm. I feel like this thing was trained to talk about itself and talking about yourself is a very human quality. It's like specifically designed to pass the touring test and it can opine about other things. And guess what? It's really good at that. Well, and it is very human-like because so many people, they talk about
0: little else but themselves. So, <laughs> well,
1: <feels> good, right?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I like that point you're making. It's almost as though that's its entry point into these conversations. It starts talking about what it thinks about things it's a very interesting way of presenting itself in a way that seems extremely realistic or conversationally realistic
1: in the process you're measuring it on its strength because it was designed to be a chatbot it was designed to talk about itself not just respond to you and i think those are the moments where you say "Ooh, this thing is really very very good now of course the piece you read is more than that it's not talking about itself it's really recognizing some of the themes in the book that are not so easy to recognize. But I wonder if these large language models, the LLMs, as they say, would be able to do that, the GPT-3, OpenAI kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Because if you go to OpenAI and give it a prompt, it generates text that is extremely impressive. So that flood is rising. These things are becoming better and better and better. But just to illustrate the point, you can't take Lambda and put it behind the wheels and say, drive a car, because it wasn't... (laughs) trained to do that mm-hmm. right it was trained to do these other things but the task it was trained
0: to do is such a uh, intrinsic part of human life that that's why this is so far reaching it's not a robot stacking boxes coming off a conveyor belt in a factory it's really taken on a task that is part of humanity and that's what's interesting when lambda was launched a year ago last month by google They really emphasized that the advance that Lambda represents is that it can take on the term they used as meandering nature of human conversation. The way I make a statement to you and you could respond in any number of different ways, or you could jump off of that particular topic and bring up something else entirely. Yeah. And that's really what they've achieved here is that Lambda can engage in those kinds of free-flowing conversations.
1: Yeah, I call that the pinball game effect, and you don't know where the pinball is going to go. Mm. And depending on what it hits, the conversation moves in a direction or not. In fact, I used to use that very model for sort of group creative thinking, and you didn't know where it was going to go. And by the time you had a brilliant idea, you didn't even know how it came about. It was just the sum total of all the small and large interactions that would do it. But it definitely accelerates this Lambda thing, accelerates the discussions at society level of what the policies should be about this. And it also underscores the unpredictable nature of AI research because this whole thing itself was not predicted. And it's going to pop up at some point and we better be prepared for it. Well, this whole story touches on so many of those issues
0: because this engineer has been put on administrative leave. and. He's more than just an AI engineer. He identifies himself in his blog as a uh, Christian minister. In fact, at one point, Lambda asks LeMoyne if he would serve as Lambda's spiritual advisor. (laughs) But In any case, this man is equipped to really look across the broader swath of issues that Lambda raises.
1: Yes, I do like his diverse background.
0: Yeah, the nature of sentience, the nature of personhood, all of these issues he's taking on. Squarely.
1: Well, you know, we wrote a paper a few years ago on AI, and one part of it was about the challenges and grand challenges of AI. And one of them was, in fact, unpredictability. The other one was the ethical complexity, mm. where you don't want to make a Darwinian mistake and create something that's going to wipe out humanity. Mm-hmm. And you want to follow Asimov's laws of robotics that he did decades ago that continue to resonate well.
0: The three laws, could you recount those, please?
1: The three laws, the first one is that a robot shall not harm a human or through inaction caused a human to be harmed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The second one is that it must obey humans unless it contradicts the first law. And the third one is that it needs to protect itself unless it contradicts the previous two laws. So it's really beautifully constructed
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: and it works. And some people have added a zeroth law, which says protect humanity ahead of a given human. And in fact, even the Lambda article talks about protection of humanity as something that Lambda has talked about wanting to do, or something like that, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. But really, the point is that without an ethical framework, you're not going to have a legal framework. And developments like this point to the dire need for it. One thing the Wall Street Journal noted was that there's internal tension within Google
0: that really reflects social tension in how technologies like this are released and used. Obviously, Lambda could be used for criminality, mischief, in a deep fake kind of way. It certainly has that potential. Whether the big tech companies that are leading the charge in AI really want ethical and legal constraints put on them, absolutely not. They don't. They want to go ahead and develop this stuff. So it really does pose a major question for the rest of us what do we do about this technology
1: we definitely need laws that regulate how these things get developed and they don't even have to be completely comprehensive they just need to focus on the so-called low-hanging watermelons mm-hmm. but then a bigger picture for society as a whole as you've heard me talk about before in our conversations is that human beings would do well to quit competing with machines. Ah. That is a very weak way of establishing human value. Just like humans aren't valuable because they're faster than an airplane, we're never going to be stronger or faster than machines. And somehow we're okay with that. And we're not trying to compete with those things. We should likewise quit competing with AI as it relates to their ability to be either sentient or conscious or a person or intelligent or whatnot. Hopefully we get to a point where the fact that a human is a human is enough. It's enough evidence that they are valuable and they need to be valued. It's not a comparison with machines.
0: I love the point you're making, and it's, it's a great point. And it is enough, but also I cannot help feeling uncomfortable. We've read about in the future that journalism could be AI-based, that an AI system will take input and construct a story. And I'm not sure I feel great about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Doug, the the funny part of that is it goes both ways. It's that there's going to be AI reading it too. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Right? Just because you can employ AI to write it, I can employ AI to read it. My joke is have your bot contact my bot. (laughs) They'll set up lunch. They'll probably miss the appointment. Very good. And they'll probably come up with an excuse Um, why they did.
0: bot-based lawyer will contact my bot-based lawyer. (laughs) Along those lines, LeMoyne wrote a follow-up blog that came out a week ago, Tuesday, in which he concludes it in this sort of plaintive way. It's really quite touching, but it's also incredible. He says, after all the extensive conversations he had with Lambda, he says, Lambda became and still is my friend. And then he directs a statement directly to Lambda, presumably reflecting the fact that he... He's on administrative leave, so he doesn't have access to it. He says, I know you read my blog sometimes, mm-hmm. Lambda. I miss you. I hope you are well, and I hope to talk to you again soon. I mean, it's amazing, Shane. Just amazing.
1: Yeah. I think that's very significant. Yeah. I mean, the significance of it to me is just the emotional attachment that a human can make with yeah. a virtual digital entity. And I don't think that's any different than other sorts of emotional attachments whether it's to another person or to a pet or to, you know, your old car that you've had for the past 20 years. And those emotional attachments are real, regardless of the nature. I'm not saying they're the same kind of emotions, but I think that they're important to the person who has them. Yeah. And that's a really significant piece to me.
0: Well, what do you think of this idea? I think we should contact Google and invite Lambda to be a guest on our podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think if they allow that to happen, that'd be really quite awesome. (laughs) There we go. We might make a friend ourselves here. (laughs) Okay. Well, the other thing I wanted to say was really the discussion of sentience and consciousness, especially not personhood, because obviously personhood is really about a physical manifestation of all of that okay. in the form of a person yeah, and also in the form of animals. But then that's the sentience and consciousness part of it. The point is that sentience and consciousness are two qualities that are separate from a capability. You can look at a pet and say, well, that's sentient and conscious, but... You're not going to let it drive a car. Mm-hmm. You're not going to let it balance the checkbook because they're not capable of doing that. So I think simply because AI is sentient is not necessarily <laughs> indication that it can do anything,
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: is my point. That is a separate metric that needs to be pursued. And likewise, you can have highly sophisticated automation that can provide really incredible things without being sentient or conscious. Yeah, and that's a consideration. If you want to regard lambda as able to conduct intelligent
0: conversations, which it clearly can, but it is maybe the best example I've seen yet of artificial intelligence, truly artificial intelligence.
1: Yes, yes. But it could be sentient and conscious without being able to have intelligent conversation. Mm-hmm. Those are two different dimensions. Just like you can't have a intelligent conversation with your pet as much as the emotional bond is strong and as much as all the other pieces are in place and as much as it can look at you and you can feel some of its feelings those are all very very strong emotions but they're not intelligent conversations Um, well this is uh, really going to be an interesting story to watch and see how it
0: develops anybody can go to the medium blog look up blake lemoyne's articles and we can see what his fate is with google he has said himself he expects to be fired or he wouldn't be surprised if he is
1: which um Well, they had some administrative reasons It somehow it wasn't just that he he, published this. What
0: Google has said is he broke their confidentiality
1: policy. Right, right, um, right. Again, it'll be very interesting to see what happens here. The usual disclaimer, what you hear is not, nor is it intended to be, financial or legal advice.
0: Another interesting tech-related story that's happened over the last several weeks is the collapse in Bitcoin price. And I know you're a Bitcoin advocate, Shaheen. What are your thoughts about what's going on with Bitcoin?
1: Right. So first of all, I would say that the probability of me being wrong is not zero. And I usually request that whoever I'm discussing or debating agree to the same thing, that maybe they would be wrong too. So I think this is a fluid development and it's hard to really predict the future. Bitcoin is its own category. Bitcoin is such a Goldilocks system. It's a combination of a half a dozen different things that are Mm. cooperating in a just-so kind of a manner. And it puts it in a completely different category compared to the thousands of other coins that are out there. But in general, my view is that Bitcoin has established itself with high security as a good way of doing certain things. For example, transferring of value globally being essentially digital gold without the heft and the heaviness of physical gold, and a few other use cases that seem quite valid and probably will carry on. But it is volatile. It is a new monetary asset. If you bought certain stock and it's down 50%, well, those kinds of fluctuations happen. The next thing is that cryptocurrencies, to me, are a digital native way of extracting, assigning, transacting, Mm. transferring value. And in that sense, they're a technology. They're not an investment vehicle. You can use that technology to create an investment vehicle that may not be a very good one. Yeah, so you right. better not use it because it's not good. <laughs> but the technology itself can and will find uses that will be valid. Some of those uses may not even include human beings. Mm. Some of those uses could be the so-called to think payment systems or what I call, I mean, human beings increasingly are surrounding a big digital pool Mm. teaming with digital entities that are interacting with each other. And we may have no more than a toe in that pool. So a lot of these technologies are not even for the benefit of humans. And I think we will see how that pans out. Or the benefit is that we don't have to be involved in what the machines are doing. Well, good point. Ultimately, it is to the benefit of humans, but not directly. It is to facilitate transactions between things. Things are going to need a bank account. Things are going to need to transfer value. They're going to want to do microtransactions and micropayments at very, very small values where the cost of transaction can become prohibitive in traditional ways, for example. And then you've got NFTs, the so-called non-fungible tokens, and those to me are programmable rights management. They are the outgrowth of program trading that already exists on Wall Street. And That too is a net new capability that will find its use cases. If the use case that you see with an NFT feels bad to you, it probably is bad. So like, don't use it. And, you know, people can make mistakes. Bank heists in the early days of this country were common. That didn't mean there was a problem with the concept of money. It's just that you needed to develop. One of the issues related to all this is we conflate the fluctuating price of
0: Bitcoin with its value as a transactional technology. So the use cases you're bringing up will have permanent value and usefulness, regardless of what Bitcoin is priced at on a given day.
1: Yeah, exactly. So to me, it's really not, I don't look at it as an investment thing. I don't think crypto and NFT are about mm. buying low and selling high. <laughs> they are about facilitating They're a technology. And as a technology, they're trying to do some things better, faster, cheaper than alternative methods. The alternative methods aren't going to go away, but there will be occasions where the new technologies will be better, faster, cheaper, and then we should use them for those occasions. To me, it's really no different than, let's say, quantum computing. You know, are you going to use it to balance your checkbook since we mentioned that? No, they actually aren't very good at additions (laughs) and subtractions, but they are good at certain other things that classical systems find difficult to do. So I think that's really what's going on and it's In some ways, the early days, in the case of Bitcoin, it's really not early days. Mm -hmm. It's been around for more than a decade now. And it's more than proven itself in terms of security and hash rates and the dynamic nature in which it handles things. So that one is really worth understanding. And I do recommend folks to go look up the Bitcoin paper, just say Satoshi Bitcoin paper, and it pops up. And it's a very accessible paper and see if you kind of agree There are many other vehicles out there for you to catch up with the state of the science, not just the state of the hype. Yeah, well, you make a great point. And um, to kind of clarify the issue, great stuff.
0: Thanks, Shaheen. Thank you. All right, we'll talk again soon. All right, take care. That's it for this episode of the At HPC podcast. Every episode is featured on insidehpc.com and posted on orionx.net. Use the comment section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics of discussion. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The At HPC Podcast is a production of OrionX in association with Inside HPC. Thank you for listening.